0: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice.
1: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity.fm online radio. My name is Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm your host. Here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about how spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. And so... If you're listening today, today's show is called The Double Life. The family was looking good on the outside, but things were really crazy on the inside. And sometimes we wonder, isn't every family like this or is it just me? My guest today, Trish B., is a person in long term recovery and also a licensed professional counselor practicing in Texas. She uses her personal and professional experience to help others let go of habits, beliefs, and thoughts that no longer serve them so that they can reconnect with their spiritual truth. So, Trish, I, I really want to say thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, thank you. I feel very honored.
1: Well, we appreciate you being willing to share your experience strength and hope with with others that you know they can find the same. And so um I guess the first thing I would ask is if you would share a little bit about your perhaps your childhood, your childhood spiritual path, how you got started into all of this.
2: Okay. So I was um the fourth of five children, a German Catholic family. So um went to church every Sunday, went to Catholic mass. I went to a Catholic school for through most of um, I guess through elementary school um, and went to church every morning um, as a part of being in a Catholic school and I remember um you know from a very early age, really not feeling like I fit in like something was not okay. I can remember thinking maybe I was adopted, maybe that's what's wrong and yet not really being able to put my finger on it, um, not being able to understand really why I might've felt that way um, because of just the family dynamics, both of my parents, um, alcoholics and very functional. So they also spent a lot of time with people who were big drinkers. And so it didn't seem unusual in any way um so it wasn't until i became an adult that some of that kind of came to light that there were some problems there but so growing up it was i just felt like something was wrong with me that the outside world pretended like everything was okay and but something was just not fitting right for me that must
1: um, be very disconcerting
2: (laughs) well it, it was yes um i i can remember thinking that you know maybe i'm maybe i'm bad so Kind of just to jump ahead a little bit, I was sexually abused throughout my childhood, and I didn't really become aware of that until I was an adult. So looking back, it's like, okay, that's why I felt like something was wrong. But as a kid, I had no idea or I just, you know, repressed it. It was just too painful to have to deal with as a child. And so I just ignored it and um, thought that something was wrong with me that I must be terrible, that God was punishing me for the things that were happening. Um, And I'm pretty sure that, you know, for myself at least, my perceptions in the Catholic Church were about um, being sinners and being bad and, you know, God's going to punish us if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing um and so just all through childhood just feeling like things were just really not okay and um, i did remember as an adult that when i was in fourth grade i was still in the catholic school and i told one of my teachers i told my teacher my fourth grade teacher that my dad was sexually abusing me and she told me that i was going to go to hell Wow. I get kind of teary still with this, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So made me go sit in the corner that I was going to be punished. How dare you make this stuff up about your parents? You're supposed to honor your parents. Um, So lots of shame. So I wasn't about to say anything after that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that just contributed, though, to this belief that there is something wrong with me, that I was making this up or it really couldn't be.
1: Um, and so it was very confusing for me. I su- about suspect with your yeah. uh, with your parents and the role that they played in the church, it sounds like, you know, that was um, a, a challenge trying to sort all that out it, as a kid. Yes.
2: yes, it was. So my dad, um, yeah, he was very involved, both of my parents involved in church. And my dad, I don't remember for sure, I think he was like a deacon, but he was like an elder in the church. And so it was that much more confusing that on the outside we were this you know loving middle-class family went to church parents you know involved in church and yet behind closed doors there was so much craziness going on a lot of domestic violence growing up um, yelling screaming throwing things threatening each other so it was yeah behind closed doors it was extremely crazy And yet on the outside, we were made to pretend like everything was okay. Mm -hmm. And so my coping skill, the way I dealt with it as a kid, was I just pretty much shut down, uh, pulled within myself, and just pretty much withdrew from the rest of the world for the most part. I pretended like I was okay because that's what I was taught to do. Um, I do remember being about 14 and... um, being at church and, and praying, God, what, what what's going on? What can I do? Please make all this stop. And it wasn't long after that that it finally did stop. So um, I had a very strong belief in God throughout childhood, despite everything that was going on, but also felt like what I was learning in the Catholic Church, that something was not right with
1: that either. So you had a I bunch of that. disconnects.
2: Yeah and then I felt bad because I'm questioning the Catholic church how dare you. So mm-hmm. there was just yeah all kinds of confusion growing up. Mm-hmm. And um it wasn't really until so when I went away to college I began to see that my family was pretty crazy. I started listening to other people I didn't have them like watching over me and so I was able to um a little bit be more of myself and I started to see that you know things were not Um, as healthy or as okay as I thought they might have been. Um, That's also when I began drinking, although I vowed I was not going to do that. I would not be like them. When I went away to college, a lot of anxiety, um, just was depressed through most of my childhood and didn't know how to cope with anything. And when I went away to college, I just started drinking and I pretty much drank my way through um, college. That's Um, I can look back on probably, I'm pretty sure, the very first time that I drank getting drunk to the point of not remembering what was going on and yet also knowing that it took care of that anxiety. I felt more comfortable around people. I could um, laugh and pretend. I guess be what I thought was myself. Um, Probably
1: what I thought was the way mom and dad acted. So that must be what's okay. So Um, at what point did you realize your parents actually had a problem?
2: I think probably like, honestly, I don't think it was until like my 30s, like not long before I got sober.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Maybe little hints of it before that. But again, because I started drinking, I think You know, for me, the perceptions of reality were so distorted because I was drinking all the time. Mm
0: -hmm, Um, mm
2: -hmm. So, you know, I I think there were clues about it. I would listen to some other people in college talk about their families or, um, you know, realize that there were other people who were not going out and getting drunk every weekend.
0: mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: So maybe something's not quite right with this. But I don't really think it was until I got sober but I really realized how unhealthy and how dysfunctional my family was because everybody I grew up with was like that. My cousins, their families were like that. The neighborhood, um, the people that my parents would spend time with, their parents were like that. So I just figured this was the way everybody's family was. So really I think it wasn't until I was sober that I was able to look back and realize, oh, we were the, and I I remember that being um, like having a few friends whose families back then thinking they were weird. And then as an adult going, oh, that's how a healthy family were, (laughs) but they felt weird. It was like, what's wrong with these people? And so it wasn't until I think I got, you know, pretty much clean and sober that I began to realize that, oh, Ours was dysfunctional, that was what was weird.
1: Um, so when you got, uh, oh, go ahead
2: well, I was going to say then when i when I graduated from college um, and i I ended up having a child out of wedlock, which was also shame on the family, and um, I quickly found somebody to marry to try and save face, I guess really. Um, who was also an alcoholic. And so then I turned to marijuana, um, and that became my drug of choice was the pot. Um, I didn't like the way that the alcohol would make me feel afterwards, and I found that with marijuana I could smoke and I would just sleep, and um, I didn't have the hangover and the side effects
1: physically that I had with the alcohol. So that became my drug of choice, although I still drank. Mm-hmm. And so what I was going to how... ask is you, you said that you had a really strong faith from your childhood, and mm-hmm. yet you had all these disconnects intellectually, physically, the sexual abuse and, and all of that. How did you get that faith? How did you feel that? Was a- it nature-based? <laughs> was it? Um,
2: um, it was very I, – I just remember a lot of just like being in church and a lot of physical warmth, a lot of um, – just having this sense that knowing that God was in me, um, I think it's really hard for me to describe because a lot of it was just a sense, like when I was praying and asking God to remove all of this, I very clearly remember this sense of peace just watch Mm -hmm. over me. And and I knew that because of everything that was happening, that couldn't possibly be me Mm -hmm. or my life that was causing that peace.
0: And so Mm -hmm. I think even
2: from a young age, just having that, Sense of peace. And yes, nature definitely, I think, spending time outside and seeing the miracle of um, new growth and so many things that happen in nature, that it, it's got to be, there's got to be a power out there. There's got to be a God out there that's creating all of this. This is way beyond anything a man could do. And yet, if there's a God, then why isn't he like saving me? What's mm-hmm. going on here? And I do think that probably that strengthened my faith after I had that time of prayer, and it wasn't long after that that the abuse stopped, that that was an affirmation that, see, I am here. I am here. But it was still confusing because why did it go on for so many years?
1: Right. Why would
2: would a loving, caring God do that? That didn't make any sense. I was mad at God when I got clean and sober. I was very, very angry. With God? With God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with God when I, yeah, got, you know, clean and sober. So um, I'd gone through several marriages. I would, I would marry, and then that person was an alcoholic or abusive, and so then I would divorce, and then I would marry another person that was also an alcoholic. Um, I didn't know any differently, and it was during my second marriage that I... And he was an alcoholic, and I was tired of what was going on with him, Um, all of his drinking. It was he's got a problem, he's got a problem, and trying to fix him. And that's when I realized that I needed help. And I actually went to um, counseling because of him, that he needed help. I needed to figure out how to help him.
1: So it was really the codependency piece and the seeing it in somebody else that got you. Started on your own path. Yes,
2: yes, yeah. And that's interesting that it took me that long (laughs) and that many relationships because they were all codependent. But, yeah, definitely seeing that. And I think the extremity of of what he was doing just really heightened that for me, Um, just his his dysfunction and his own, um, you know, um, abuse and addiction, alcoholism scared me because he was doing a lot of illegal drugs and there were times i was thinking about well maybe i should do that maybe that would make me feel better and that really scared me when i started thinking about well maybe i should try cocaine or maybe i should try you know something else that really scared me and i was like no i don't want to i don't want that i need to help him get off of that stuff Mm -hmm. Um, so sought help for him and realized during probably the first session with the counselor that I was the one that also had a problem. He may have a problem,
1: but he wasn't there. We couldn't fix him.
2: Um, but maybe we could do something for me. hmm
1: So that was really a pivotal point for you was, was, um, yeah. rec- recognizing that you too had a problem. And was it an easy road for you then to get into recovery and stay?
2: Well, I wouldn't say easy, <laughs> Although I, um, in the personality that I am, I um, was typically a rule follower. I did what authority asked me to do, and so when I went to this first counselor, um, who happened to be a drug and addict, drug and alcohol counselor, um, and I'm talking about my husband and all the things that you know was wrong with him, and he just kept bringing it back to me. Well, what about you? Um, oh well, yeah, I smoke some pot. Well, not much, <laughs> you know. And, and, and being very good, he's able to go. Well, how much is not much? Oh, I don't know, three or four bowls a day. Well, that's just before I go to work. <laughs> and it wasn't really until I'm saying all this stuff out loud, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this probably sounds really crazy, Trish." Um, and so he, he basically said, "You've got a problem. This is what you need to do," and I did it. Um, I knew that I was miserable. I knew I couldn't continue. I was feeling suicidal, I think, too. Um, I didn't realize, again, that those suicidal thoughts were things like, I just want to crash my car. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have some kind of horrible disease and I'll die. Uh, maybe I just won't wake up. So, so some real passive suicide thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't recognize that because I'd had those all of my life. I did not realize that I was feeling suicidal. Um, I just knew that I could not keep going the way I was going. And so he said you need to go to a 12-step program. Here's meeting schedules for AA for NA. I did it. Um, he was running a um, what they call now I don't an intensive outpatient program where we met three times a week and I did individual therapy with him and I I did that. And I remember being in one of those group sessions and realizing oh, my gosh, I'm the only one here going to meetings. Oh, I have a choice. Because <laughs> uh, I thought if I don't do this, he's not going to see me anymore. So I, And it was like, okay, but I'm doing better than these people as well. Um, but it was definitely not easy. I was, I was very blessed that I had this awesome counselor. I was blessed to find what became my home group when I first started. Um, I, I chose N.A. mostly. I could really relate to the addiction part of it. Um, and that, for me, seemed to work. I always tell people, whatever works for you, it's all the same. It's where you feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it for me when I first started, I my son at that time was eight. And I remember the first meeting we went to was a speaker meeting. And at this group, they um, would have... Like a potluck dinner for the speaker meeting, and so we went to that, and it was like, oh, food! <laughs> so that was kind of exciting because I was pretty broke, and it was a decent, you know, decent mm-hmm. meal. Um, and you know, people said keep coming back,
1: and I did. So you were, you were. Um... introduced to the idea that you might have a problem and suggested that you attend meetings. And you walk in the door and you see on the wall the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions the word God, and yet you were really angry with God. How did that work?
2: Well, I'm not sure I realized how angry I was at the beginning. Um, And I remember being told in meetings, don't worry about anything but that first step. And so just acknowledging that I was an addict, the rest of it, the God part, I remember people saying, you'll figure that out. Don't try and don't focus on that. Right now, it's about, you know, letting go. Um, And so then when I did start to move on to the next steps, I remember being told the group can be your God for now. Um, Lots of other people in the group also shared being angry with God. And so I didn't feel quite so guilty um, Mm -hmm. about that, but it it was definitely a struggle. And I remember people, you know, saying, you know, your God can be whatever you want. And that felt very blasphemous to me, but yet at the same time, it felt right. Um, I remember people saying, you know, check out unity, check out unity. That would be a place where maybe you would feel like you would belong or feel like that you could get that spiritual connection because I did want that. I felt like that was a missing piece in my life because I I dropped away from the Catholic church um, once I started really using heavily. And so I um, began going to unity when I was in early recovery. And I remember that first church service, I went um, and cried. I remember crying and I remember the music being very moving. I remember the message being that I was okay, that all of this stuff that was happening to me was not me, that God was in me, and and that really clicked for me. And I'm really grateful. I look back on that and and hear about some other people's struggles, and I'm really grateful because for me, um, I was able to make that shift relatively easily compared to other people
1: Um, was that was that the first time that you'd ever heard the concept of God being within you as opposed to someplace else oh
2: definitely yes I yes um growing up it was that would have yeah that felt very um blasphemous so I guess really even starting off with unity there was still that sense of oh my gosh am I going to get struck down by lightning because of this or you know something horrible going to happen to me. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that the people that I spent time with in those early years were um, had a strong spiritual connection. Some of them went to unity some of them did not but they had that strong spiritual connection that gave me an opportunity to talk with them and ask questions and um, suggested readings for me i continued to go to therapy and so it was something that i i really continued to explore by going to church i um, went to one of the um, basic unity classes i remember doing that early on to try and kind of i just i really felt like i belonged there it was the first time after na when i went to na that was the first time in my life it was like oh my gosh there's other people like me. I'm not that. If I'm crazy, then we all are. That's <laughs>
0: okay. Mm-hmm.
2: So that, that comfort in NA and then the same comfort when I went to Unity. People sharing, um, you know, and I remember the minister sharing that personal struggle and does God, you know, where is God? And being able to find that God within us and and pointing out that God is in the birds and is within me. And I have nothing to be ashamed of, that everything that's gone on, the mistakes that I've made, because there's things that I have done. I'm not blaming everything on my parents, things I made choices about. And yet God's been through all of that. And God doesn't need to forgive anything because in his eyes, I'm perfect. Um, I I share a lot about um, I use the word God. I Um, it's comfortable for me. I refer to his, I think at one point it was a lot of, um, that was difficult for me. I didn't want to call him he, I didn't want to say God, Um, greater power, higher power. Definitely. I use that term a lot and it took a lot of years, probably 10, 15 years of um, continuing on the spiritual path to just recognize, okay, God is easy to say. God is something that most people can relate to. And so that's, the term that I end up using today.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think that so many people get turned off by the word based on their history coming into Mm -hmm. the program that they don't, you know, no, I don't believe in that God either, (laughs) you know. Right, Um, right. And so this, by the time people get to the third step and understanding a power that you understand that's greater than yourself, um, you know, I remember wrestling with that a lot.
2: And I think part of the challenge with that for me was I never trusted anything that I understood. What I thought, everything that I thought was right growing up was wrong. And so I didn't trust myself. And I think that's one reason why unity was so helpful for me because it helped me see that other people also struggled with that. I remember being told we believe in you until you can start to believe in yourself. It seems like there's a song along those lines that I remember um, singing at church. And so that really gave me a lot of strength that I was not the only one questioning all of this. And that God didn't care that I was questioning all of that. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely a, a long process for sure.
1: Well, and I was just going to revisit that. You mentioned 10 to 15 years. So if you're if you're struggling all of that time... You know, I think a lot of people think that I'm going to get to the program, I'm going to find God, and I'm going to be good, you know, and then next week I can get on with my life.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and I know I believed that at the beginning. This is what – well, first it was, you know, if I get this husband fixed, then everything will be all right. And if I get clean and sober, everything will be all right. Um, And, yeah, it took a lot of going to meetings, a lot of going to church to realize that everything already is all right that I don't have to wait for this end result. Um, but, it, you know, I worked those steps with a sponsor. I did what I was supposed to do in NA. Um, I went to AA. I went to church. I did, and, and I look back and I think it, it's all by the grace of God that I'm clean and sober today 29 years later because I did not do this by myself. I'm too willful, I'm too weak, I'm too <laughs> wishy-washy. That, yeah, there's just no way I did this on my own.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to have to take a break here in just about, I don't know, um, half a minute or so. And so I'd like okay. you to hold that thought. And then when we return, we will pick up the conversation uh, where we leave off.
2: All right. Sounds great.
1: All right. Okay, you're listening to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM radio and my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and I'm your host here today. We are speaking with Tricia B who is a person in long-term recovery and is sharing her experience strength and hope. Her family looked good on the outside but she felt crazy on the inside. And some of us wonder, isn't every family like this? So thank you for joining us today.
0: Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Dorothy Day, a co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in America, called for not a revolution of arms, but a revolution of the heart. Since the beginning of our nation, the American Revolutionary War, and long before that actually, there's not been a time without conflict somewhere in the world. Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Certainly we live in challenging times. Each day brings seemingly limitless opportunities to take offense. And each opportunity offers me a choice. I can give a knee-jerk response in fear or anger, or I can choose consciously to respond in love. My choice may seem insignificant. After all, I'm only one person. But as history has taught us, one person can make a difference. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit DailyWord.com to subscribe. If you could talk to an angel, what would you say? Join Jerry Gavin every Monday at 5 p.m. Central for Angelic Connection. Jerry shares messages from his guardian angel, Margaret, in combination with ancient healing practices to teach people how to listen to their spirit. Jerry can help you strengthen your connection to the angelic realm and receive clear messages of help and healing. Call in and join the show every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. The ancient Chinese philosopher known as Lao Tzu brings us into the present moment with this quote. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment, but not seeking, not expecting, is fully present and can welcome all things. When you're feeling impatient, think about this passage and trust in the moment. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice.
1: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, your host, and I'm here with my guest, Tricia B. We're going to resume our discussion in just a moment, um, but we first want to summarize what we've talked about a little bit. She's had this journey into recovery that encompassed uh, many years in the Catholic Church, and then she found her own addiction and found that she couldn't get what she needed there. So, Trish, we were talking about your uh, entry into the program and into Unity, um, the Unity Church.
2: Okay. So, one of the things that was extremely important at the beginning, I I think I shared earlier that I was someone that did what um, people told me to do. And I remember being told, you need to have a sponsor. And that was really scary because I didn't trust anybody. I It was hard enough to like share in meetings, but to think about um, being able to trust someone. And it was also a fear of being rejected, that if I asked someone that they might um, reject me. So part of my discharge from therapy was that I needed to have a sponsor. So. Um, I also had someone in my home group who every week I would see him. And I want to say that I did 90 meetings in 90 days. I encourage people to do that. Um, I think that's extremely important. And so in order to do that 90 and 90, I traveled around to lots of different groups besides my home group. And I would see this same guy, Brett, over and over and over. And every week or every meeting he would say, you have a sponsor yet? No, and he'd take me up to these women, and he would give me, you know, okay, she needs a sponsor, and then he'd leave me in this circle of women, like. (laughs) Um, And eventually, I got tired of him asking, and so I wanted to be able to say yes. So I finally asked a woman to be my sponsor, and she said yes, and we began really officially working the steps, and um, I've continued. For me today, the sponsor is about having a spiritual guide, and I continue to have spiritual guides in my life. That was extremely important. Um, sponsorship is about being able to find someone who has what you want. Um, the person that I initially chose was Gloria, and she had several years in recovery. Um, she appeared to know what she was talking about, she appeared to be walking the walk um, and not just talking it. And so I, again, I would meet with her on a regular basis. I would um, see her at meetings. We worked the steps together. And that was very inspirational for me because despite my ongoing struggles, and, you know, I I talk about, um, you know, not ever going back out and using again, but I sure thought about it. And there would be lots of times where I wanted to use. And being able to call on Gloria and being able to ask her, you know, what should I do? Well, get to a meeting. That was always the first thing. Get yourself to a meeting. Um, And so having that guide and that prompt and that support, learning from her how she discovered God and what worked for her, um, all of those things really helped me along that path. Um, it was my second sponsor that encouraged me to go to Unity, and, um, you know, sponsorship sometimes, like my first sponsor, and I don't really remember now, like, what happened. It wasn't like a falling out. Um, I think life just got really busy, and we weren't able to connect as frequently, and so I found another sponsor that um, that's closer to me that I could meet more frequently with, and being able to continue on that spiritual journey. And she's the one that directed me towards um, unity and And being able to. um, Unity also helped me, like, begin to connect with people. Um, I remember early on also in my meetings feeling... Like I wanted to belong. I I felt like I belonged, but I wanted to be a part of. I wasn't, I was very shy, very um, introverted, withdrawn, and I wanted to be able to reach out and talk to people, and I didn't know how to do that. So I would hang around after meetings and just kind of hope somebody would like talk to me, uh, or else I would dart out after a meeting. And I remember somebody coming up to me and saying, um, you know, maybe one of the things you could do after a meeting is help pick up coffee cups and Um, empty ashtrays and and I'm like, why should I do that? (laughs) But my first response is like, what a smoke, why should I be doing that? And, um, but I did it because, and what happened is then people started coming up to me. I'd be kind of cleaning up and people would come up to me and talk to me and that kind of helped break that ice. Um, And so the same thing would happen at church. I took that lesson that I learned from um, N.A. when I would go to unity. And so instead of just running out afterward, maybe I would stay in the sanctuary and pick up bulletins or pick up coffee cups or, you know, look around and see if there was something that I could do that would help out. And so that allowed me to meet new people and kind of get over myself.
1: And so that's Um, really that connection to service that you just mentioned, is really a tool to help us um, in life. Yes, yes. It's extremely
2: important today to be of service to other people. Um, Being a professional counselor now, I'm able to do that in a professional way, and yet I continue to do that in my individual um, life, volunteering, volunteering, Um, I, you know, meet with people on a, you know, outside the counseling part to help them through their recovery. It's extremely important to me to pay it forward. And I frequently tell people that, that, you know, if you want to um, make a difference for yourself, pay it forward. Think about what you can do for somebody else. And it, it pays off in immense rewards for myself. And the fact that there's people out there that I know are getting something, and planting seeds, is what I remember being taught, is to plant some of those seeds, both in spiritual life with, you know, 12-step programs. I, um, it's important for me to share with people that you're perfect just as you are. In my line of work, that's one thing people often come to me, feeling broken, feeling like there's just no hope for them. And I continue to reflect and hold that sacred space that unity taught me that you're perfect just like you are. And the good is there. We just need to uncover it. It's gotten buried by the beliefs that you've learned growing up or the beliefs that the world has taught you. That goodness is there. Let's help dig that out and find that beauty within yourself because we all have that. We've all got the not so pretty side too. I choose to focus on the, the prettier side of life for myself, and, um, and reflect that for other people as well. So, yeah, being of service um, in church, um, in you know the twelve-step programs, just in life in general, is extremely important to me.
1: So you Finding talked about uh, even after being in recovery for a while, and even after attending church for a while, and even after learning how these principles overlap and different tools that you can use um, to assist yourself, that you occasionally still had these thoughts of using.
2: Oh, yes, yes. Um, So I just recently celebrated 29 years, and a couple of months before that, um, probably about three months before that, I can remember thinking, you know what? I kind of miss wine. I was reading some book, and they were talking about different wines. And I thought that, that like, triggered that thought for me is,
0: you know, I really
2: miss that. I bet you I could drink. And I played with that thought and played with that thought. I Googled, can a recovering addict start drinking? (laughs) I I, I, I looked for everything. And I can remember at one point, like, Googling something and going, Okay, Trish, isn't that called, like, rationalization and denial? Isn't, you know, think back on those early days. Didn't they warn you about this, that no matter how much time you've got, those thoughts come back? And so what is it that you need to do here, Trish? Because I might be able to do that. I don't know. I am not going to take the chance is what I decided. And I thought, okay. I'm not going to take that risk. So what do you need to do instead? One of them was to go to a meeting, so I went to a meeting. One of them was to then verbalize these thoughts of wanting to use, and so I shared that in the meeting. I shared that with my support system at church. I shared it with my son. I I made it public that this is what I'm thinking and I don't want to do it. And being able to do that gave me this awareness again of you're not you don't have this um There's not an end to this journey in that way, that you're never, at least for me, I don't think that there's going to be a time where I can guarantee that I'm never going to, because I came very close to it, and I am positive that if I would have started drinking wine, I may have been able to do that for a week. It would not have been very long before I'd be coming home from work, having a few glasses of wine, extending to the weekend. I'm positive I would do that um, and so I was really just that that 's that addiction talking to me even with twenty nine years You can do that, you can do that it's okay it's okay. look at all the therapy you 've done, look at all the meetings you 've gone to, you go to church, you meditate you 've got this great relationship with you know it, it's that that part of myself that still is there and um so i you know I share that with people that. For me at least I, I think you know that that thought of wanting to use again is highly likely to come back. that's probably not the only time that that's going to come back for me and so that is why you know when i when I work with people in recovery um, or working at thinking about going into recovery, wanting to stop i that's why I talk about doing ninety meetings in ninety days because if I did not have that spiritual foundation of The 12-step program, I would not have found unity, I don't think. Um, I would not have the relationship with God that I have now. I would not have the people in my life that I would have now. And at 29 years almost of recovery, would not have known those tools to go back to. Mm -hmm. But I remember being taught early on, don't ever forget how awful it was when you came into the program. And I've I've kept that. I can I can go back to that moment. I can see myself. I can realize those feelings, that negative self talk, and I don't ever want to be that person again. I don't ever want to go back to that. So it's not worth the chance of having a glass of wine. It cannot possibly be worth that. I've gained so much, and I shared earlier about being uh, my first meeting, being a speaker meeting, and I remember one of the people was celebrating five years and thinking, "Oh my gosh." There's no way I can do that. One day was just, like, barely manageable. And people would say, all we have is today. And I firmly believe that, that, you know, on the calendar, I may have all those years, but really all I have is this moment right here, right now, because I don't know what's going to happen the rest of today. I cannot guarantee that I won't relapse later today. I just know right this moment. I'm not using, and right this moment, I'm using tools to prevent a future relapse. I'm doing everything that I can possibly do today to keep that from happening, and I'm not doing so, it by myself.
1: So what are your favorite tools?
2: Well, I think um, I do, I meditate, I do a lot of contemplative prayer, I continue to attend church, I continue to um, read the 12-step materials. I attend meetings once in a while. I don't go nearly as frequently as I used to, um, but it, that foundation is still there. I rely on people. I um, find people that can support me that are also, um, and it may not necessarily be recovery from addiction, but I know one of the things I love about Unity is there's, there's other what I call recovering Catholics. There's other people that are recovering from Lots of different things and we all have something in common in that we're trying to heal and, and develop a stronger connection with God and that's that tribe that group that support system is immensely important to, to me and that's one of the things that I continue to rely on as I said being able to share with people I'm thinking about using what what's crazy about that after all these years and knowing that if you don't want that to happen you've got to rely on that support system swallow your pride and admit i'm wanting to use and move on that that those thoughts don't have to have that power over you so remembering that it's not done alone that i've got the support of god i've got the... and god works through all these people in my life he works through you lonnie and you know, reaching out to me today, and I think if somebody out there hears a little bit and gets a little bit of a seed planted, then good. That's all I'm here for today is just to plant those seeds. So knowing that I've got that support system, um, that's definitely huge. Reminding myself that God is in me. That I don't have to look outside of myself for something to fix me and that's what the alcohol was trying to do that that's going to fix me the relationships the sex the shopping the food all of those things they were going to fix me they were going to make me okay and realizing that God is within me um, I remember crying at a unity service when I heard that message multiple times that God is in you, that you're perfect just as you are, and God doesn't need to forgive you for anything because he sees you just as you are. And that was such a relief and difficult to believe at some point. I remember about three or four years ago, I was um, gone with a friend to a, a monastery and we were in their church And um, it was a monastery and a convent, and the nuns were having their service, and they said that we could stay at the back. So I was sitting towards the back with my friend, and we were um, meditating throughout this service. And at one point in the Catholic service, there's a a statement that we repeat, like, multiple times, um, that I am not worthy to receive your gifts, Lord. And I remember hearing that in this service, and my eyes, like, popped open. I was like... No wonder I think that I'm no good. I heard that for years, mm-hmm. every, every day for years, and then every Sunday for years. No wonder I thought something was wrong with me. And mm-hmm. that's not what the purpose of that was, I don't believe, but that's how I interpreted it. That's, that's what was you know interpreted for myself at that. And so no wonder you thought something was wrong with you. You heard that message over and over and over again. And so to that's come a, to unity and <laughs> find out, no, that's not true.
1: So how do you know what to believe?
2: Um, I go within and I do, um, I believe what is right for my spiritual truth. I share that with the people that I work with, that I believe we each have our own spiritual truth within us. I'm not judging anybody else's um, journey or path on this. There's a great book I remember studying in a, in a class. Um, I think it's like The Seven Spiritual Paths to God, and it talks about nature, and it talks about all these different ways that we can find God. And I strongly believe that's true for me, for everybody, it, is I find God in my own way, and how I believe may not believe be how you believe. It, it's okay. We're... Our goal is to become um, closer and closer to God. And however that happens for you, I respect that. And I will do what I can to support you on your journey. So I think knowing there's a sense of peace within me. Um, again, for me, it's there's such a um, visceral response when I'm, like, meditating or I'm out in nature and I'm just, Oh wow! This is like unbelievable, God, that you created this, this and and created me and created my dog. And um, so, whatever's right for me, it, it's definitely a very physical sense of peace and calm when I know that I have found that truth within me. Well,
1: thank you for sharing, you for sharing that. that. And um, you have a website and. Um, if you're willing to share that and your contact information, if we have any listeners that would like to talk further with you, um, could they do that?
2: Yes, definitely, yes. So the website is npcs.com. It's New Perspective Counseling Services, so npcs.com. And my email is beach, B-E-A-C-H, at com, And I would be happy to help people. Um, respond to questions just let people know I think that's um, one of the, the strengths that I gained from all of my time is that we don't do this alone I think that's the thing that I, I, I tell people over and over I told this to a gentleman that's been struggling on, on getting sober and I said you know what dude you help other people immensely you're not letting anybody help you you need to mm-hmm. step back Allow people in, allow somebody else to help you. And that he took that to heart and has been clean, he said, 13 days now. So thank you, God, it was a seed that was
1: planted. And Mm -hmm. I
2: know that that, that's a seed that was planted in me, so we don't
1: do these things alone. So are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share? We've got about a minute left. Um, Anything that you want people to remember particularly?
2: Um, I would say, so stay open-minded and be willing to listen to other options um, to try and step out of our own belief system and explore what somebody else might be saying, what they might be recommending, and find out if that's true for you. Um, That's one of the things I loved about Unity. It was always, you know, take this in and ask yourself if that's what's what's true for you. So to be open to exploring and to find however you can find the support that you need on this journey, whatever that looks like for you. Um, God sends people in our lives to support and encourage us, and they show up in all different shapes, forms, sizes. So find that spiritual community for yourself to help you through this recovery journey. It's worth it. So one other thing that, I, that just, like, I touched on earlier was about the sexual abuse and um, how that impacted me and um, I think that really was one of the reasons why I began to drink so heavily is that um, when things like that happen we um, for myself I There was this deep sense of shame that something must be wrong with me that this is going on. And so the drinking, the drug use, all of that was really to cover up the um, belief that something was wrong with me because who wants to feel like something's wrong with them, right? But if I could be drunk or I could be high, then things are good. And so that something wrong kind of goes away for a little while. And when I got clean, that was, a, that was a big part of my journey as well, As I had to learn how to recover from that. I had to learn how to forgive my father for that. Um, that, that was a huge, difficult process, and that was also something that both the 12-step programs, um, Unity helps me with, that, that belief of forgiveness. I would never have imagined that I would have been able to forgive my dad, and yet I can say today that I've been able to do that that I'm not grateful that it happened, and yet because of that, I'm able to help lots and lots of people. I was a school teacher um, and being able to help those kids and see those kids that something was like, not quite right with them, I could see myself and continue to help people. So that's been another huge part of my recovery is being able to um, remain in therapy and work through that um, sexual abuse, because I think for anyone who's ever been sexually abused, the impact of that, it still impacts me in a lot of ways today. And I continue to address that um, just through church, through unity, through my own therapy, my own journaling and praying and meditating, that that is a healing process. And I encourage people to, not be afraid to look at that and to share that with people because part of that is about shame when we're sexually abused the message is that something's wrong with us and it's too shameful to even admit that it's gone on so we pretend like it hasn't we don't tell people and um, I remember being told in 12-step programs that we're only as sick as our secrets so not keeping those secrets being as honest with yourself as you can being as honest with other people um, is a big part of my recovery as well. And I think that's why I appreciate unity because there's people that are all walks of life and all circumstances and experiences that are willing to share their own hurts and how they've moved past those and don't let that... um, control their lives anymore so
1: well, I, th- I think you made been a really important point when you buses. talked earlier about trust um yes. because to, to share your secrets requires some level of trust
2: definitely yeah i remember being that was one reason i wouldn't go to therapy because i was afraid they were going to think i was crazy and be locked up somewhere um and i remember the first time I told a therapist, I was probably about five years clean before I admitted it to anybody. I was working on a fourth step, and that came out in that. so yes, that trust is scary, and we have to take that leap of faith and go with our gut that it will be okay god 's going to bring people that we can trust that we can rely on and
1: Well, it'll thank be okay. you again for sharing all of the information and the personal experience that you've shared. I know you'll help others because of that. And so thank thank you listeners as well. And you can join us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. And again, next week at 4 p.m. Central on Tuesday at Unity Online Radio. Have a great week.